Well, here we go again. Here I go again on my own. Sorry. Okay, now, letter T, baby. We're doing letter T. Big T, P for tennis. T for the Jets win. They beat the Eagles this weekend, which is awesome. Okay, or T for Travis Kelsey, whatever. T, T for Taylor Swift, whatever you want to say. We're doing the letter T's today. We've gone through A through S. We're on to the T's. How many left? Who knows? Well, I guess we do know because there's a limited alpha there. Okay, so we probably have a few left. I can't do the math, but let's get into it. Letter T, baby. If you want to pass the Series 7 or the 65 or the 66, this is the channel to stay on, okay? This, my podcast, my Blue Collar Finance podcast, I my voice is gone from the game, so I don't know why I'm doing a video like this, but I have a, a live every Tuesday and Thursday night, a live Q&A answering all your questions. I've been doing it since with the COVID. I'm the original. I've been doing it forever, okay? I'm crazy, Eddie. Okay, so actually, we're going to get into the tease before I go nuts, okay? Before you guys call the cops on me and go, this guy has to go away in a rubber room in a what do you call it? Straight jacket. Let's get into it. Letter T. Okay, so let's talk about tax deduction versus tax credit. So a tax deduction is it reduces the income that's being taxed. A tax credit is a direct reduction of your taxes. So let's look on the left side. You make 100 grand a year, you take a $5,000 deduction, maybe from donating for your IRA or for charity or something like that, a deduction. Then it reduces your income to 95000 You pay 10% on that. And then you pay 9,500 in taxes. If you didn't take the deduction, you pay 10, 10 grand on the 10% of 100 grand, but you reduce it by 500 bucks because you took a $5,000 deduction. Let's jump over to the credit, the mana, right? So make 100 grand, you pay 10% taxes, that's going to be 10 grand. The credit goes exactly against, directly against the taxes you owe. So that's 10,000 minus a $5,000 credit. You only owe five grand in taxes. That's the magic of this is that. If you do a tax credit, it reduces exactly what you pay in taxes, where tax deduction reduces the income that's going to be taxed. They're both great, but you always want a tax credit. And try my voice, it's going to be bad all week. Okay, how about a targeted amortization class as opposed to a planned amortization class? A targeted amortization class is what they added onto a CMO to protect against prepayment risk only, not prepay and extension. A planned amortization class, a PAC, protects against both prepayment risk and extension risk. A targeted only protects against prepayment risk, not extension risk. So the return is going to be a little bit higher, a little more risky. Tax equivalent yield is when you take a tax-free bond and you divide it by 100 minus the tax bracket to find out what corporate bond would be equal in pay after taxes as the, as the muni, tax-exempt or muni. So again, you take the Tax-free bond, then tax-exempt bond, divide it by 100 minus the tax bracket. I have a brand new video. Oh, my math video is like almost an hour and a half long. Crazy. And you divide that by the yield, and that gives you the corporate yield that you need to equal the same as like a muni. So if I get a, I'm not going to do the math right, but say you had a 4% muni, and you go, okay, what's a tax equivalent yield? And you say you're in the 80% bracket. You do 4 divided by 80%. And whatever number that is, that's how high a corporate bond you need to get the same return as your muni. That's it. The tax-exempt bond fund is a mutual fund that pretty much invests in only munis and short-term debt to maximize your tax-free return. That's what they're there for. What's a TAN? A TAN or a tax anticipation note is a short-term debt, okay, short-term debt issued by cities and states and stuff like that, to, along with RANDs, to meet budget shortflows. So what they do is they issue it now, and then they know, oh, people are paying their taxes in April or June or quarterly, and they can issue it now. And when people pay their taxes, it pays it off. It's very short term, and it's usually to fix your budget, a budget outflow. That's it. 
I have a feeling a lot of the T's are going to be taxes. Okay. So that's what's tax liability. That's literally what you owe in taxes. If you make 10 grand and you're in the marginal tax bracket of 15%, your tax liabilities, you make 10 grand, you pay 15%, you owe 1500. That's basically what is your tax liability is what you owe in taxes. Yes. In real world, you take deductions and stuff like that. But let's just say if you make 10 grand and you're in the 15% marginal tax bracket, you will owe $1,500. That's your tax liability. A tax preference item is basically something that like an excessive deduction or something on a private activity bond where the deduction is probably going to be subject to AMT. So these deductions, whenever you take them, and then if you are subject to AMT, you have to add them back and it's taxable. So if you're a normal person like a, like us poor people, then what happens is maybe that doesn't matter. But if certain tax preference items, if you see excessive deductions or um, accelerated, usually those might be tax preference items. And then if they're calculating MT, which we don't have to do in the test, just understand that those would be added back into your income to be taxed because the IRS doesn't miss a penny. So what's a tax shelter? A tax shelter is some sort of product or process that avoids or lowers your taxes. Think of like um, muni bonds or DPPs, limited partnerships. That's where they put like real estate, limited partnership, cattle, stuff like that, equipment leasing, all these things that are tax, tax sheltered is like a DPP, a limited partnership. They're, they're created to lower your tax burden. Again, taxes, a tax sheltered annuity is, or a tax deferred annuity is an annuity that grows tax deferred. So all that income is not taxed while you're doing it, right? So you put in the annuity, like think of a 43B or something like that. The teacher puts the money in, it's pre-tax, it grows tax deferred. They owe, no, they owe zero taxes until it's withdrawn. That's really what a tax sheltered annuity is, a TSA. Technical analysis. Technical analysis is just when a person is looking at a person or a male, female, whatever the hell it is, is a trader should have said that instead of causing trouble, right? Um, it's a person that trades based on charts, trends, patterns, support, resistance, moving averages. They don't actually look at the stock. They don't look at the actual makings of the stock. They look at how it trades and the trading momentum and the patterns. And they look for patterns that they can replicate. Head and shoulders, saucer, double top, double bottom, shit like that. All has nothing to do with earnings per share, PE ratio. They do not look at the inner workings of the company, the competitors or anything. They literally look at where it's trading. A lot of times a fundamental analysis, if you hear the dogs, a fundamental analyst will use the technical trading information to find out when to go enter and exit. So fundamental looks at the whole company. So they may not know pricing, but a technical does. So kind of pairing that up together is like a good match. The Telephone Consumer Protection Act. Every time I think of that, I think of AT&T, but I don't know why. But the point is, it's limiting who you can call. Like if you call someone soliciting, you have to give your name and the firm and all that stuff. And you can only call during certain times, like between 8 a.m. and 9 p.m. at night. And if they get asked to be put on a do not call list, guess what? You can't call them anymore. Tenants in common. It's really joint tenants in common. But tenants in common is a, a joint ownership where each person has a specific percentage. Here's the big thing. If one of the account, account holder dies, their money goes to their estate, their will, their beneficiaries, their heirs, as opposed to joint rights or survivorship, it goes across. Probably it should be in the J's, but whatever. Tenants in common is an account where we have we both have kind of specific percentages. We can both place trades. But when I kick it, my money goes down to my estate, my heirs, my beneficiaries, and my will. Tenants in entire is only for married couples 
And if both people, if any kind of any kind of um, transaction has to be consented by both, but also means the thing people why people do tenants in entirety is if you have a property and one of you gets sued or they put a lien on it, they can't put a lien on that property unless both names are creditors. And tenants in entirety is only okay, only for married couples. Tender offers when an entity, whether it's Elon Musk, he didn't do this, but Elon Musk or somewhere management or somebody, Boski, all these people would offer to buy a company. I guess the best one is um, Eisner, um, Carl Icahn. I can't think of the word. Carl Icahn, see, I'm getting old. Carl Icahn would make tender offers for the company. Here's what happens. Say a stock's trading at 40 bucks. You make a tender offer to buy it at 45 and people, and now you make the tender offer. It has to be open for at least 20 days, okay? And then after that, you can cancel it. But you can have rules on it. Like, I want to buy a million shares, but I don't want to buy less than 900 grand, stuff like that. Or I have, here's a price, and there's a lot of different ways to structure it. But it has to be open for at least 20 days. And anyone who wants to tender their shares, so tender offer is the offer to buy. Tendering your shares means you're giving your shares to the company to have them buy them from you, okay? So you, you can only tender what you're long. So if you're a long stock, and short calls against it, you can't tender it unless you own more shares than your short stock. So if you own a thousand shares and you sold five calls against it, you can only tender the five shares until you get rid of the calls, 500 shares until you get rid of the calls. 1035 exchange, that's how you can move. It's an IRS thing that allows you to move from insurance to insurance, insurance to annuity, or annuity to annuity without causing a tax event. But remember, you're not supposed to do it on a period anything anything less than 36 months because the cost of doing it would outweigh the tax benefits. Term bond, that's a bond that has a specific issue date and a specific maturity date. Pretty sure it's like a normal one. That's the one where you see where it's quoted like 98, 99, 101, something like that. They won't usually quote it by the yield. Testamentary trust is a trust that said after someone dies, the will says, hey, put the money in a trust for whatever. That's a testamentary trust. Now, let's move over to the Totten Trust, which a Totten Trust is a bank account that is literally named to go to a certain person on death. That's all it is. So a Totten Trust is I set it up, and if I die, the money goes to this person. That's what a Totten Trust is. So testamentary is a trust set up after somebody dies, less will and testament, right? And then a Totten Trust is set up, same thing, but it's like a bank account uh, that would turn into a person's, it goes to a person right away once a person dies. Clarify, the person who died doesn't get the money. The beneficiary does. Just to make it sure. Here's one that always shows up in Kaplan, but they'll never fucking use it. I swear to God, this word they put in there, literally just because the person writing the questions must have been pissed at his wife, okay? Progressiveration. It is literally that you're going to change your mind a million times. Betrayal, saying two, like a politician would say one word to one person and another to another, deliberately hiding the truth. Why the hell would that be on the exam? testimonial i'm giving a testimonial a testimonial is when a third party endorses an investment advisor or some other party but it's really for investment advisors that it matters that you cannot do them if you're a state level advisor that's not okay the sec now allows testimonials with certain disclosures and i have videos for that but on the state level testimonials are strictly verboten Third market. The third market is where listed securities trade over the counter, right? So we have the first market, the exchanges, New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ. Second market is over the counter, unlisted. These are securities that can't trade on the exchanges. Third market is where stocks that do trade on the exchange also trade over the counter as an alternative. And the fourth market is institution to institution, dark pools, ECNs. It allows for non-member firms to trade with each other. They're really doing it through broker deals and exchanges, but as a way. That's the fourth market. 
So again, the third market allows listed securities that trade on stock exchange to trade over the counter in an alternative manner. Tight money is what the Fed has been trying to do now. When the tight raises are tightening, tightening, tightening. During expansion, they try to tighten the screws to stop the businesses from doing as much, the lending as much, borrowing as much, and slowing everything down. It's not fucking working, but whatever. A time deposit is when somebody puts money in there for a specific amount of time. I guess like a CD or a banker's acceptance. It's promised to be in there for a specific amount of time and not be withdrawn. As opposed to demand deposit, which is more like savings or checking account, where you put it in and you can take it out anytime you demand. What's a time horizon? How long we want to invest for? It's basically the amount of time that we ha- we're giving you to that we need the money for or some version. A time horizon is when we need the money back or what our goal is or what our target is. The longer it is, the more risk you can take. The longer it is, the more equity you can take. The shorter it is, the less equity you can take. So I have a rule that if, you're, if your time horizon is five years or left, don't do equity. Now, real world, no, but this is test world, okay? Anything under five years, you don't do equity. And the other side, on mutual fund side, if it's under five years, you only do C shares. You don't do B or A because the costs are too much. Time value of money. Okay, time value on an option and time value of money. So first of all, time value of money is always that money now is worth more than money later. And that's why people take the lottery money up front because I'd rather get it now than later. That's just a thing. Time value on an option. So let's say the option, say you have a 50 call and it's trading at 52. Well, the intrinsic is $2, okay? 50 call, stock's trading at 52. You have $2 of in the money intrinsic. If the premium is five, you have $3 of time value. Time value is what you pay over what the option is worth. Time value is what you pay over what the intrinsic where the in the money amount is okay, you could have no time value. It doesn't happen a lot, but like say this, say your 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 option is out of the money, no intrinsic. The premium is all time value, and also the more the longer the bond, the longer I'm going to say bond a million times. The longer the the uh, option is till maturity or to expiration. See, I went with the bond thing. Um, the more time value it has. Also, the more volatile the company is, the more time value they have. So if you have Gillette. And Tesla, both trading at 50 bucks, whatever. Tesla would have more time value because people are willing to pay more for that ability to make a lot of money. And what is Gillette going to do? Make a fifth blade? I think they may do a fifth blade now. A tip, just a tip piece. Okay, no, a tip is in this test, a tip is in somebody giving somebody else inside information, alleged, but whatever. So in this test, if you, if you get a tip from someone, it's, you assume that it's inside information and don't act on it. Tombstone ad. That's a tombstone ad is what you put in the newspaper during during the cooling off period. It allows the underwriters to put kind of generate some interest. It's like a non-advertising advertising. It's one of the things you're allowed to do during the 20-day cooling off period. So it's a new issue. We put up a tombstone. It says the name of the underwriters, how much money we're raising, maybe a range for the price, maybe. And that's kind of it. It's just saying, hey, guys, you're interested. If you give us a call. Okay, top heavy. Literally half of these things get a double entendres, whatever. Top heavy is when a 401k or retirement plan has too many key employees in it. Like if, two, if so many of the key employees are in it that it outweighs what the, the normal people have, then there's an issue. What's a transfer agent? A transfer agent is either a person or a corporation that they're responsible for keeping track of all the names of all the, the names and who holds the shares and all the names on the securities. And anytime somebody buys from other, they make sure the names get switched over. So they always have a list of all the names of all the shareholders. And they make sure that the new one gets, the new person gets credited with it. The old person gets it taken off. Top down versus bottom up. Again, see, top down 
is where you look at the economy as a whole, then you narrow it down to like the, to the it's a sector, to the industry, blah, 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 all the way down to the stock to make a decision. Bottom up, it's like a Queen song, right? Bottom up, girls, okay. Bottom up is you start at the stock and you go out to the industry, then the sector, and then the market to make your decision. So top down, you start at the economy, work down, and bottom up, you look at the stock and go up. Okay, trade date is literally T. That's the day the transaction actually happened. Trace, that's how the, it's called trace, trade reporting and compliance engine. Nobody gives a shit. Trace is when you report corporate and treasury bond transactions. And usually that's within 15 minutes, okay? So trace is how you report corporate and treasury bond transactions. And it's always within 15 minutes. Treasuries, treasury bill, that's under a year, right? Under a year, it's a zero coupon, most liquid. Treasury note, two to 10 years, pays a coupon every year, every six months, trades in 30 seconds. Treasury note, treasury bond, up to 30 years. Again, pays every six months, trades in 30 seconds. And tips, treasury inflation protection securities, they pay a coupon every six months, but it, but the par value adjusts for inflation, CPI, and then you should keep pace with inflation. Strips, where you're going after your pass. I say that all the time. This, again, I'm only putting it in here because you're talking about treasuries. It's a long-term zero coupon, very volatile. FINRA loves it for college education savings. Okay, how about a trough? T-R-O-U-G-H. So we have four business cycles that we worry about. A lot of the books try to do a lot of other crazy shit, but here's it is. So we have expansion, peak, contraction, trough. Trough is the bottom of the bottom of the declining business activity. And hopefully it's going to head back up into expansion. That's it. Okay. What's a trustee? A trustee is a person who's in charge of a trust. Okay. They have to act on a beneficiary's half on, on their behalf. And they are considered a fiduciary, which means they have to put the needs of the beneficiary out of theirs. Kind of like a good husband, I guess. Then we have a transfer initiation form. That's a TIF. That's like an ACAT. It's where you're transferring your assets for your securities from one broker deal to another. That's called the TIF. There's the trustee, and then we have the trustor. Trustee is the one who manages it. Trustor is the one who puts the money in, also known as a grantor or a settler. Settler. How about a trusted contact person? This is the person for a specialized, specialized adults. So anyone over the age 18 who's mentally challenged or whatever, and then anyone over 65, you're you're invited to bring in a trusted contact person who then you can you can speak to them when there's something going on. They have no discretionary power unless it's set up that way. They're not actually able to make trades and stuff. They're just like a third party who can talk to you and talk to the client when there's an issue. The whole point of that trusted contact person is to prevent exploitation of people who are vulnerable. The Trust Indenture Act of 1939, all non-exempt, which means corporate bonds, over, I think, 50 or 75 million, doesn't matter the number, have to use this thing where they create a trust indenture. They have to create a trust indenture, which is a legal agreement between the issuer and the trustee. I think my voice is getting worse. No chance. How about a 12B1 fee? That's an annual fee or even quarterly, I guess, that's charged against the mutual funds assets to each investor to pay for marketing and advertising. Let's throw it in here, two and 20. Two, the two and 20, if you hear that, that's the way a lot of hedge funds are set up. They take 2% of the assets and 20% of the gains. While we're here, well, let's head into the U's. You and me and you and me. Okay, underwriter. The underwriter is basically an investment banker who helps to help companies go public. Underwriting is the actual process of bringing, the bringing a security to the public selling the shares. Uncovered or naked option is if you sell a call by itself with no stock covering it, 
or you sell a put with no short position covering it. That's an uncovered or naked option. Underwriting spread, that's the difference between what the issuer gets and what they sell to the public. That's what that's the spread. The spread is the difference between the issuer, when they issue a bond, what they get, and what it's offered to the public, which is usually par. Uniform gift to minors, UGMA. It's, remember, this is an act. It's UGMA and UGMA. So uh, some states have UGMA. Most states are switching to UGMA. UGMA is, it's, it, you have if you want to set up an ch- account for a child, a under 18, you have to have a, one custodian, one child. And when the, when the kid becomes 18, the kid gets the money. Now, remember, as it earns money, the kid pays the taxes. They don't write the check. The custodian does. And they're both the same on that as far as that goes. One custodian, one child. The child pays the child pays the taxes and any earned earned income that they get. And remember, it's a custodial account, which means they have certain rules they have to follow to make sure they don't rip them off. No shorting, no margin, stuff like that. And UGMA at 18, it becomes the kids. And UTMA it, at 21 to 25, depending on the state, age of majority, it becomes the persons, the beneficiaries. Uniform Securities Act is literally just the model law for all the states to follow. NASA created it. And the state, it's not like every state follows all the laws. They just pick and choose which ones they want and they can make up their own, but it's like a template so they can follow it. Unfunded pension liabilities is is the opposite of overfunded. Overfunded means you're putting money in quicker than they need and they have more than they need. Unfunded means they don't have enough and the company has to make up the difference, unfunded or underfunded. It's usually with a defined benefit because they know what they need at the end, but they're putting money in and they maybe the actuary comes in and says, listen, you don't have enough in here to get to the number you wanted. That's underfunded. And if, if the actuary comes in and said, well, you're ahead of the game, that's overfunded. It's an overfunded pension. And actually that could be, um, that's considered cash. The company can take that money out. UPC, Uniform Practice Code, that's literally the code that dictates how, um, that's like settlement could delivery, how member firms, FINRA firms deal with each other with transactions. UPC, Uniform Practice Code. UIT, Unit Investment Trust, that is a type of investment company. That's the U of the FUM, but it has a fixed portfolio, very low fees because it's not really managed. It's like supervised. They never change the portfolio. I mean, I guess they could, but they don't change the portfolio. So if you have a bunch of bonds and they mature or stock and they get called, the, the fund actually self-liquidates over time. Unlisted stock, that security that's not eligible to be listed on an exchange, is considered over-the-counter. And if it's under $5 and not on an exchange, it's a, pink, it's a penny stock, which has other rules. An unrealized gain is when the stock rises, but you didn't realize it by selling it. You buy a stock at 50, it goes to 60. You didn't sell it, so it's an unrealized gain, and you cannot be taxed on it. Pay attention to that. They will probably have to say, you sell it, and you have proceeds for you to have taxable a taxable event. Unsystematic or non-systematic risk is like business risk is on one either tiny sector or one um, company. And you can get rid of that by diversifying it away. That's like business risk. Basically, if it's like one company and they do something bad, like I like Elon Musk, but when he went to buy X or Twitter, that put, put pressure on Tesla, that's business risk. And you would diversify that away by buying multiple securities, by mutual funds, ETFs, stuff like that. So non-systematic risk is diversifiable risk. This one may not show up a lot, but it's good to know. An uptick is when the stock has traded higher than the previous trade. So there are certain things like um, like corporate buybacks and syndicates where they can't buy in a straight plus stick, which means stocks at 21, you can't buy it at 2101. 21.01, I can't stutter because it's 2.30 in the morning, 2.45 really. Um, it's straight up like it's higher than the last sell. That's a plus tick or an uptick. 
well, we're on a roll. We might as well roll into V, V for volatility. It's how much the stock moves. Volatility or vol is how much the stock moves. That's like interest rate risk on bonds or stocks. The more, I guess, the more volatile it is, it has a higher beta, stuff like that. Riskier. Vesting schedule. That's a risk. If any ERISA plan has to have a vesting schedule, because look, if you put money in, that's always yours. That's a hundred percent vested. But if a company moves puts money in for you, then it might be you might not be able to walk away with it right away. So they say, you know, like may they make a twenty percent of it after the first year, twenty percent the second year, twenty percent the third year, all the way out until after five years you get it. Or they can say, listen, you get none of it until the third year, and then you get all of it. It's called cliff vesting. So vesting is the time period where the money that the company put is in slowly becomes yours and you can do what you want with it. Now, remember, you can't withdraw it under 59 and a half without a penalty. But if you leave, you can roll it out with you. Like for example, I worked, at, I worked at Westpac for like nine months. It was just not a fit. I was there. They had about 10 grand in the account for me that they put in for me. I left after nine months. I got to walk away with 1200. That was it. Value stock or value st sell investing. Value stock is a stock that's like under pressure, maybe a little distressed, but it's solidly fundamental, most likely as a low beta, a low PE ratio, and it pays dividends. But that's a value stock. It's kind of undervalued, maybe out of favor right now, but it is a solid company. A variable annuity is an annuity, right? You put money, it's a, it's a non-qualified plan most of the time, unless they say qualified, okay? You put money in after tax, normally, it grows tax deferred, but it's invested in a separate account or a sub-account, and the growth varies, right? As opposed to a fixed annuity where it's set rate. Then when you get paid out, when you do the payout, the annuity phase, you choose you choose your method, and then it's also invested in a separate or sub-account, and the, the value goes up or down, and that affects your payment. And there's air. So if you do, if your return in your sub-account does better than air, your payment goes up the next month. If it does worse, it goes down. That's a variable annuity, very high level. I have a bunch of videos on that. Variable life insurance is like normal life insurance. You put money in, it grows at a set rate, fine. But a variable life insurance, you put the money in. Remember, it's not term, it's whole. When you put the money in, it, it's in a separate account or sub-account. And based on the investments, it goes up and down. Your cash value can rise faster or slower than you expected. Now, you have a guaranteed death benefit. So if you buy a million-dollar policy, if you die, your family's getting a million. But your cash value may grow up and down. It could actually be zero. Okay, or not negative, but could be zero, but you still have the death benefit. But it can grow faster. It avoids in inflation risk because it's invested in the market. And over time, it should likely outpace the fixture of the universal. But you are taking more risk. So again, variable life insurance has a growth rate that's variable based on the investments, and it is considered a security. VRDO, or variable rate demand obligation, that is a bond that has a fixed rate, okay? But, and at every certain period, if the rates go up, it goes up. So the coupon moves with it. It starts out fixed. And then every period when the interest rates move, it'll move with it. So it really doesn't have interest rate risk. And the second part of it, the demand part, means you can demand the company pay you par, which is called an embedded put option. So at any time in a VRDO, you can sell it back to the issuer for par. So you have no interest rate risk. Pretty cool, but it's a little coupon. You would not want to buy that when rates are high because they're probably going to drop and you're going to make less. I mean, we're really so close. You might have just finished out the fucking alphabet. W, the W, baby. Okay. Let's for a warrant. Let's start with that. A warrant. Okay. A warrant is a security that you usually get attached to a bond or preferred to make it more attractive. This warrant gives you the right to buy stock at a set price, usually pretty far out. Okay. Usually five, 10 years out. So it's, so say the stock's trading at 30, it'll say you can buy it at 45 or high, 45 or so. Maybe it'll be set high or whatever it is. So it's no good now. 
But over the long haul, eventually, hopefully over five or 10 years, the price will go above that. And now you have a valuable thing. It is a sweetener on a deal because if I attach a warrant to my preferred or common, it makes it more attractive. So my initial coupon can be lower because remember, it's always trade-off. Anything I add for the customer or the investor is going to lower their, lower what I have to pay them. Okay, a wash sale. A wash sale is when you sell a security for a loss, which you get usually get to write off your taxes, right? Up to, you know, whatever. Um, but if you buy the stock back or anything like the stock. So if you sell a stock for a loss and then you buy back the stock, a right, a warrant, a call, or a convertible security, that would violate it. And all they say is you're disallowed the loss. It's not like you get punished. You just can't take the loss and deduct it against your taxes or against your income until you actually sell the security for full and stay out of it for 31 days. Hey, that can't be confused with a wash trade, which is a violation. That's when you actually move sh trade shares without any beneficial ownership. Say you have an account at JP Morgan and at Goldman, and you place an order to buy and to sell at the same time. So you're trading it to create a volume to make it look better without actually changing ownership. That's fraud. That's manipulation. When issued, which is really when and as if issued. So this is a, when trading happens, when a security has been basically not approved, but effective, but they haven't issued the shares yet. It's been authorized, but not issued. Wild getting, wild getting. It's the limited partnership. It's the drilling where you're drilling for oil or gas, where it's an unproven area where you don't, where there's no oil already. That's as opposed to development, which you're going to drill where there's already oil. Copycatting. But wild catting is where you're drilling where there's no proven oil already. So it's a high risk, high reward venture. Wells notice, you're not well when you get one. It's when a regulator, usually the SEC, sends you a letter stating all the charges they're going to charge you, that they're referring you to enforcement and they're going to charge your ass. Not a good thing to get. You're not well when you get a Wells notice. Wilshire 5000, it's called the total market. So if you ever see referring to the widest or the most diverse or whatever it is, the broadest market is supposed to the Wilshire 5000, even though it has like 3,700 stocks in it. Withholding, like withholding affection, no. Withholding is when uh, when when a company get paid, the company holds back some stocks, stocks, money to pay taxes. So like if you invest in a foreign company, a lot of times they'll withhold their portion of the taxes to hold it to pay the foreign taxes. That's one way of withholding. And then you'll get a credit or a deduction on our end, but there's still withholding the taxes or like your paycheck. You know, you say you're making five grand a month. You say, wait, why I'm only bringing three grand home? Because there's some of it's withholding taxes that they're going to use to send to the IRS. And if you overpaid, you get it back, but they're withholding it so that there's some taxes paid. Working capital is sort of a liquidity thing. It's literally just kind of how much kind of capital we have. So it's current assets, which are within a year, minus current liabilities, which are within a year. So that current assets minus current liabilities is working capital. A workout, okay, you know, a workout is like a nominal or a subject quote where it's like, oh, I'm going to make a bidder offer to you, but it's subject to conditions. But we'll work it out. We'll work the deal out. I'll pay you, you know, 80 for bonds workout, which means it'll be somewhere around 80. We'll figure it out. Don't worry. Wrap fee program is done by investment advisors, only investment advisors, where all of your charges, your commissions and everything are sub are under one set fee. Now, remember, you need a disclosure doc, and it's not supposed to be for someone who doesn't trade a lot. It's much more for someone who either wants you doing everything and knowing what the costs are, or someone who trades a lot, and it, and it works. And if a broker-dealer starts offering a wrap a fee, they're an investment advisor. A writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, -E writer of an option is someone who's shorted an option. 
You sell a call, you take an obligation. You sell a put, you take on an obligation. Okay, now why? Why? Because we love you. If you're old, you would you would get that connection. It'll be followed by M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. What's a Yankee bond? A Yankee bond is when a foreign company issues a bond in the U.S. paid for in dollars. Okay. What's a yield? It's the annual dividends or interest rate that you're getting based against your market price. The current yield is annual of a market price. AMP. Annual divided by the market price. That gives you your current yield, what you're earning. Okay, so the yield spread is, I've done this chart. We have a chart where there's, a, well, let me do it. Okay, so I'm going to do yield spread, yield curve. Yield curve first. So the yield curve is, let me just find this thing here. Oh, there we go. Is like the shorter the shorter return. Like down here's the years, this is the rate. So the shorter yield, the years, we're going to have a lower rate. But as we go up, Farther and farther, we're going to have a higher rate, higher and higher. That is just horrible, but that's what it is. So the, that's the yield curve that it's like, that's a normal curve. Okay. So that's, it's fucking horrible, but it's normal. You know, let me try, let me see if I can do better than this. Oh yeah. That still sucks. But so the farther you out, the more you have to pay. So what happens sometimes is that this is a normal yield curve, but when the Fed starts tightening, the, the lower rates, we have a flat curve and then we have an inverted where the short yields, the shorter yields are higher than, the longer ones, which is going on right now in middle of 2023, since about January or so, because it's a sign of recession, but it's not happening, right? So this is a normal yield curve. This is an inverted. That means the Fed has been raising rates. This usually means the Fed has been lowering rates. Now, another thing we have is the yield spread, where we're comparing, we'll call this, the, we'll say this is the treasuries, okay? And then we have another one above it, which is the corporates, okay? That's the corporates. Yield spread analysis is defining the difference between the two. Again, double entendres all over the place. So now, they're, they're between the two, if it's narrowing, that means the, country, the economy is getting stronger because you're buying the corporates and selling the treasuries. If it's getting wider, God, I could get in trouble with this. Uh, if it's getting wider, that means people are buying the treasuries and selling the corporates. So that means the economy is not doing as strong. Okay, yield to call is your yield. Based on if you if the uh, to the first call date. So if you have a discount bond, that's you're going to get called at par. It's assuming it's going to get called, which means your yield would be higher than if it was yield to maturity or current yield or coupon. So yield to call is the yield assuming that you to the first call date. I'll put it that way. So yield to call is the yield calculated to the first call date, as opposed to yield to maturity, which is the yield calculated to maturity date. Again, there's math on it. I have tons of videos on that. Yield-based or interest rate options are actually options on the interest rate. They're not on the bonds. They're on the interest rate. So if you own a bond, let me do it this way. If you think calls are rising, you buy yield-based calls. If you think yields are going down, you buy yield-based put. Yield-based puts, I can't speak because it's three in the morning. Now, if, that's okay, 18 minutes since my last mention. So now, if you have a bond portfolio, your word rates will go up. So you'd buy yield-based calls to hedge. Sometimes when you hear about, this is back to the yield to maturity stuff. Sometimes when it's quoted, you'll see the word yield to worst. That just means if it's a discount bond, you quote yield to maturity or basis. And if it's a premium bond, you quote yield to call because that's the worst of the two. Z for Zippo. Zero coupon bonds are bonds sold at a discount and they, they don't pay during the life of it. They're also called OIDs, original issue discounts. And you remember my thing? OID, you must agree. Okay, OID, you must agree. So a bond sold at a serious a discount 
and you get the and when it matures, you get this at interest. Okay, this discount amount. So if you buy a bond at eight hundred, and it matures at a thousand, that two hundred you get is considered interest income. And if it's a muni, it's not taxable. If it's a corporate or treasury, it is. So a zero coupon bond is a long term bond that, or it could be short term. So I don't know what I'm talking about. It's a bond that pays interest at maturity, like a T bill, commercial paper, strips, treasury receipts, all that stuff. And then we have Z tranche. Z tranche is a type of CMO tranche where you get paid at the end. It's a, again, I think it's a zero coupon, but you're paid at the end. You're you're the last one paid in a, Z, a CMO. Okay, and the last but not least, Z end. This is the end of the letters. I am so glad we made it through this. I can't believe how many hours I spent doing this, but I'm so happy. I'm I, I'm like I love the feedback I get from people thinking this helps. Going through the glossary and hearing some idiot explained it in a different way. I, I thank you guys so much for lasting through this whole thing. Don't forget to check me out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I do a live free Q&A that some people don't know about. And um, ask any question on there, Tuesday, Thursdays, 8.30 p.m. Have a great night. Wash your hands. Let May the Force be with you.